Welcome to the New Relic Modern Software Podcast, the show where New Relic experts and special guests discuss the top trends and topics in the world of software applications, DevOps, cloud computing, monitoring, and today, the challenges of creating a great digital customer experience in the financial sector. I'm your host, Frederick Paul, Editor-in-Chief of New Relic. For this episode, my co-host, New Relic developer evangelist Tori Wheelt, and I welcome Paul Clark, CTO of the Challenger Bank Tandem, based in the UK. Before we meet Paul and learn more about how Tandem Bank is leveraging technical innovation and leadership as it builds a banking brand with no physical branches, let's do some super fast housekeeping. First, you can find edited transcripts of recent episodes of the New Relic Modern Software Podcast on the New Relic blog, log.newrelic.com, and that's also where to look for associated links, images, and so on. And for listeners who may not be familiar with us, I want to say a quick word about New Relic. Built entirely in the cloud, the New Relic platform lets you know exactly what's happening in your software and systems in real time. You can know the impact of every change, find and fix errors faster, get all your teams on the same page, and innovate more confidently. Want to find out more? Go to, you guessed it, newrelic.com. Thanks, Tori, and welcome, Paul. Thanks. Good to have you here today. So, But this podcast is international, so we were wondering, can you bring everyone up to speed on Tandem Bank and the concept of a challenger bank? We love that phrase, but it, it's not a common one here in the U.S. The Tandem Bank is, is, a, is a, it's a new modern bank that's only been in existence for a couple of years now. Um, and the reason why banks such as uh, Tandem, there are other challenger banks in the U.K., are, are coming to existence is because there is perceived monopoly in the market, that there's a, a number of incumbent banks and that all the customers uh, deal with. And there is a perception um, and a belief that the customers aren't getting the best deal. So what's happened in the UK is the people who regulate and run banks in the UK have decided to introduce a new uh, process by which you can become a bank. Uh, it's called uh, the Prudential Regulation Authority Option B, uh, which uh -huh. allows people <laughs> like us to be able to start a bank without necessarily having all the capital we need or all the policies and processes in place. It's a gated process that allows us to build our technology and test that with our customers and raise funds. And at the same time, we go through a series of gates, which eventually lead to us becoming a fully-fledged bank with a banking license. We've been on that journey for a couple of years. Uh, we became a bank March of this year, um, and we, we've opened our doors to customers. So where did the phrase come from? I, I, I do love the phrase. Challenger banks. Yes. Because we're challenging the incumbent. Got it. So, But if this is a new concept, what's your background? How did you end up at Tandem? Oh, I'm perfectly placed to be working banking. Uh, I spent the last 15 years working in television. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Oh, no, I don't. I came from a background of building video-on-demand platforms for broadcasters in the UK. So I worked at ah. um, ITV, I worked at Channel 4, and mm. I worked in the BBC. And the BBC has uh, you know, a very modern approach to software development, as, as do all of those companies. Um, and it's completely different to how banks do it. And whereas a, a television company will have like 10, 20 people in a team, cranking out code every week, delivering value to customers in small increments. The banks will throw hundreds of thousands, hundreds or thousands of people um, and get nothing out of it. <laughs> a release every two years, whether you need it or not, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Regular as clockwork every two years. And so what I bring to, to the banking is not a, an expertise in the banking domain per se, although right. I've now I've been with Tandem for two years. I'd like to think I'm getting pretty good at understanding the mechanics of a bank. But what I bought at the beginning was a different way to build software, different way to build software, different way to test software, different way to deploy software.
delivering how we could deliver value to the customer and know that the customer was getting the value that we had hoped they would get and what we would do um, if they weren't or what we would do if they were and how could we improve that. But building software in lean agile ways because we believe that software and technology is a strategic differentiator. We can't really compete with the banks on scale. They've got more money than us. We can't compete with them on brand recognition. They've got better brand recognition than us. We can't compete with them on the numbers of customers. They have more customers than us. We can compete with them on technology. The the ability to execute technology well is cheaper now than it's ever been before. So if we can really leverage that, that provides us with a strategic differentiator. My background, television, building large TV on-demand platforms, mass market, millions of customers, fast-changing, releasing software every day, taking that and bringing it to the banking world so that we can be a, we can challenge <laughs> the existing banks and disrupt the UK banking market. What's your position on the application of these modern software techniques like Agile and cloud and, and DevOps and things like that to the financial services industry? Is there any structural reason that those things can't be used in that area or is it just hidebound tradition? It's, it's the latter, it's hidebound tradition. Uh, so there's absolutely no reason why these things can't be used. Um, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK is um, one of the regulators that we have that regulate banks. Um, and they provide us with a lot of guidance for how we think about technology and how we should think about the suppliers that we use. Back in 2015, the Financial Conduct Authority said, look, you know, it's okay to use the cloud with certain caveats. We definitely have a higher bar than when, when I was working in the TV industry because we have certain requirements around the right to audit and, and the right to visit premises. <clears throat> um, but the, so the cloud providers, um, all of them, I mean, we, we use AWS and, and a bit of Azure, have made provision for that. They understand the FCA's requirements uh, and, and, they prov- and, they, and they meet it. So they give us what we need to satisfy the regulator. In the incumbent banks, I worked in an right. incumbent bank um, briefly for six months I left <laughs> pretty much a waste, waste of my time working there um, because the things that you would want to do as a modern software development company they didn't want to do because that's not how we do things here Paul um, it's really just inertia um, you know I often say in these, in these very large institutions if, if you've got a guy who's Dave and Dave and he's in charge of the data centers today <laughs> Dave's got 2,000 people that run his data centers for him if you say hey Dave we could probably get that down to like 200 people and move it all into the cloud. Dave's probably not going to be that pleased. That may be good for the company. It's not so good for Dave. <laughs> right. People have built their careers in mm. these legacy banks, doing things in one way. They've been doing it for 20 years. They've got five years to go before they retire. You, why, why would they want to change? Where's the driver for them to change? People say that the big banks are hamstrung by their, their technology. I would argue they're more hamstrung by their cultures. Your approach changes a lot of issues for for a bank in terms of, since you don't have physical branches, your your apps and your mobile app are your branches. How does that change how you deal with the digital customer experience? Does it change the effort that you put into it and and the processes that you use to optimize that? Yeah, totally. Um, you're absolutely right. You know, we don't have physical branches, but we have millions of branches, and the, the branches that we have are people's mobile devices. And more and more, that's how people want to interact with us. People spend most of their time in other people's apps. Mm-hmm. So your app has to be as good as other people's. They, there's an expectation. And if those other people's apps are, are, are Uber or Facebook or Instagram or whatever your favorite apps are, um, 
then that's the level of sophistication, of smoothness, of, of customer experience that your customers expect. And when they don't get that, when, it, when they jar up against it, then they can change very easily. It's very easy for them to kind of drop one, you know, to, to drop one app and just move to another. And, and banking really is, is no different. We have ability in the UK for people to change banks very easily. It's called the um, Current Account Switching Service. It's part of the government legislation. Within, I think it's like 48 hours of requesting a switch, you get switched to your new uh, bank. And so it's becoming easier and easier for customers to just switch banks. And so your app has to be good. It has to provide a wonderful customer experience. It has to have low friction, high security. Um, it, it has to provide the features and functionality that your customers want, and it has to provide them in a, in a compelling way. The old way of delivering software, the kind of pre-agile, pre-lean, pre-DevOps, where you've got your release once every other year, whether you need it or not, it's just not good enough. You can't keep up the pace of innovation. You can't fix bugs. You can't deliver new features quickly enough, and your, and your customers will leave. So we, we don't class ourselves as a bank with a digital experience. Mm -hmm. We class ourselves as a digital bank, and there's a big difference. Yeah, we right. are digital first. And everything we do, we ask ourselves the question, how does this manifest itself into a digital experience for the customer, which is beautiful, which they want to use? Whereas I think traditionally up to this point, banks have thought of themselves as a bank and will give people some digital tools. And those digital tools are actually to try and save the bank money because they don't want you going into branches and speaking to people or phoning them up because that costs money. Right. We've completely turned that on, that on its head. We are a digital bank. So everything we do is led by digital because our branches are in everybody's pocket. So how do, how do you know you're doing that well? Like what metrics do you use? Oh, so there's a multitude of monitoring through the stack, um, all the way from customer interaction. So we use Mixpanel to, to gather data about what features the customers are using uh, and build funnels to understand how they get progressing through the journeys that we've created for them uh, to understanding how the app is performing from a systems point of view on the device that it's running. And for that, we use, uh, we use New Relic, actually. We use New Relic all the way down through the stack. Yeah. It's the services that support the app. So in our kind of middle tier, uh, the microservices that we've built, the queues that we have, all again monitored um, using New Relic down to the infrastructure. So we have infrastructure agents running in the cloud to tell us how our infrastructure is going on. Are we running out of this space? Is CPU running hot? All that's then hooked up into a series of alerts that are kind of pumped out into HipChat. If we get fatal alerts, then that triggers into PagerDuty. PagerDuty then is kind of sending out emails and phoning up engineers, uh, making sure that things get fixed. On the mixed panel side of things, we have all of our journeys uh, are mapped out. We have real-time data coming out of that. It's throughout the office, we have our journeys up on big screens so we can see how those things are getting on. On top of that, we then bring in customers into the office every week. So wow. We'll be looking at either existing features or new features and asking the customers, you know, what do you think of this new feature? Can we do this differently? Or looking at existing features which maybe aren't performing as well as we thought they would perform and asking customers what they think of those features, what can we do differently? So uh, kind of every angle, we're trying to use the fact that we are a digital bank um, to get all the metrics and data out so we can rapidly analyze it and then create better solutions that better serve the customer's needs. I mean, that's the thing that we focus on more than anything else, which is how do we create customer value in the, shortest, in the smallest possible increments? How do we tighten up those feedback loops between have an idea, put it in customer's hands, see it working, 
change it for the better. Wow, cool. So let's just uh, take a look at your engineering practices. So how often do you update your mobile app, roughly? And how quickly can you make a change? Well, so starting with the back-end team. So the back the back-end teams that are developing API-enabled microservices, um, most of those teams are releasing every day, a couple of times a day, a few times a day, and from make, committing a code change to putting a build into production, probably in the region of 30 minutes, 20 minutes. Nice. On the mobile side of things, because we don't want to just keep getting customers updating their apps the whole time or, or you know, really <laughs> we love that. Sort of draining, <laughs> yeah, draining their battery or kind of using up all their data plan or whatever. Um, we only release that every two weeks. Um, but internally, okay. we're releasing it three or four times in that period. You could do more of those if you wanted to, but you're, you've decided that that's the right rhythm for customers. Yeah. Okay. The thing is, you have to build software in a way which allows you to push out change as often as you want. Because if you push out a change and something goes wrong and you can only push out a change every three months, guess when you're going to fix the problem? In three months' time. <laughs> right. If you build software to push out change all the time, you can then choose when to release it. So if I choose to release it fortnightly, but I could actually do it in an hour, it means should something go wrong, I can fix it in an hour. And so that's, that's how we think about creating software and how we think about doing releases. We create software so that we can deploy all the time, and then we choose how often we wish to deploy it. So tell me, um, do you have QA teams? Uh, do you have SREs? How DevOpsy is your organization? So we, so we don't have QA teams, no. We, we, we have engineers. So we don't have developers and testers. We have engineers. Nice. And we expect engineers to write quality code. Uh, and that includes demonstrating quality of the code through automated testing. We do support the engineers with SDEC, software development engineers and tests. So these people are responsible for helping develop the frameworks, really thinking about what frameworks and tools we should be using. And critically, and this is the hard part, is making sure that the test artifacts need to support the test automation. So, you know, if you're uh, originating a credit card or a savings account, if, if you're doing these things, you, using lots of systems working together to be able to determine whether or not a customer can, can have a credit card, which credit card, which APR they would get. Recreating that data so that you can run that test over and over is, is quite complicated. Um, and so what we do is we then hand that task off to the SDEX and say, can you please go away and work out how to create the, the test artifacts that are required to support the testing? If you want to be able to release code as often as you like, right. you need massive amounts of automation. And that automation runs all the way through the stack. So you say, do you have DevOps people? And we don't have DevOps people because DevOps aren't people. DevOps <laughs> is practice. That makes so sense. When we talk about DevOps, we, 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 what we're really talking about is automation. How much automation do you have? Well, the answer is simple. Just automate everything. Automate your infrastructure. <laughs> all the things. Build, automate your testing. Automate right. your deployment. Automate your monitoring. Automate your logging. Automate your alerting. Automate, automate everything. Automate all the things. Um, and so we follow DevOps practices. Got the it. closest thing we have to a DevOpsy kind of person is the platform engineers. So we have specific roles on the teams of platform engineers are responsible for automating the infrastructure, automating the build pipeline, automating the monitoring, logging, and alerting. And again, the developers, you know, T-shaped people, the developers are involved in that as well, but the platform engineers are the experts. Got it. How does New Relic play into all of that? So we use it end-to-end. -end. 
from front, front to back. So we, we use all the things that's from New Relic. Um, more or less, well, there's, there's one thing we don't use, which is synthetics. Okay. Um, but pretty much we use everything else um, front to back. Um, and it's, it's a key tool for us um, because it gives us a single place to go to see the state and the health of our systems all the way from top to bottom. Um, and then it plays a crucial role in then us being able to set thresholds of what we think good looks like. Right. And when those thresholds are breached, to be able to alert somebody. You know, we have a complex estate uh, of interacting microservices, of asynchronous messaging, you know, CQRS and uh, event sourcing. We, we need to know when things aren't working as they're supposed to work. Um, but at the same time, if we were to spend all our time looking at our systems to make sure they were working okay, we wouldn't be doing anything else. Right. Uh, and so what we, what we do in New Relic is we automate the process of monitoring our estate and we automate the process of it telling us when something uh, goes outside the normal. Now, it's not perfect. There is no perfect. Um, we, things, not often, but things do get missed. We, things happen that we're not aware of as part of our kind of wash-up procedures when we have incidences to understand was the, was the monitoring sufficient, and if it wasn't, then to kind of enhance it. We also use New Relic for a lot of our journey dashboards. So a lot of the time when we're taking people through uh, a, a multi-stage process that mm -hmm. we want to see them go from, you know, uh, applying on a website to being credit checked to uh, being KYC. So know your customer, make sure we know that they are. When they're traversing multiple steps of a journey uh, and those, those steps are, are driven by different services, we can then automate the journey. Uh, we can then automate the journey monitoring and see whether or not people are falling out at particular places. If we see them falling out at particular places, we can go to the product team and say, hey, people seem to be falling out here. You should go and have a look in the more detailed logs in Mixpanel. We can say, well, why is that happening there? Is there an issue with that service? And again, that's up. It's all up on big dashboards around the office, constantly cycling through different dashboards, state of the underlying microservices, state of the underlying systems. Um, so there's a visual reminder of how the system is but also connected into hip chat. So if something does go wrong, you see alerts in there immediately. Um, going forward beyond that, what's the next step beyond creating a fast, easy to use, highly available mobile banking app? Where, do you, where does a challenger bank like Tandem get competitive advantage after that? That's a, that's a really great question. So, um, so we're a digital bank, but we don't want to be your bank. What we want to be we want to be the, the, the service that helps you understand money better. Got it. And in helping you understand money better, um, make better decisions about money, um, get the right products for you for what you're trying to do. Um, and by doing that, by helping you understand the money, by helping you understand where you can save, how to spend better, what product to have at what point for the thing you're trying to do, mm -hmm. will help you not get stressed by money. Because money stresses people out. <laughs> oh, and if banking, you can figure that yeah, one out. you've got that, I, I'll <laughs> sign, sign up, up across the pond. <laughs> yeah, money stresses people out. Um, mainly, because, mainly because people like to spend money, but people don't like to spend time with money. They can't be asked to sit down with their spreadsheets and you know, calculate their bills and look at them coming and going. You think about it, it's, it's nuts. Why should they? Your bank has all of your data. It knows everything. Or it has all of your data. <laughs> <laughs> And really, if, if you take that data and apply some machine learning to it, 
through some analytics, you can really begin to understand how people interact with money. And by understanding how they interact with money, you can help them do that better. By helping them do that better, they'll have more of it and they'll worry about it less. And so at Tandem, what we want to do is we want to take that data. We are building machine learning models at the moment to understand how people interact with money. And then what we're going to do is help them have the right product at the right point, the right price. For instance, say you want to go on holiday, right? We can detect that you're probably going to, that you're going on holiday because we can see that you booked a villa or you booked a flight or something like that. And we can kind of intervene in a really kind of friendly, helpful way and say, we think you're about to go on holiday. Can we help you do that better? We could also see that you had a bad credit card and that if you use that credit card when you go abroad, you get charged fees. So we could offer you a better credit card. We could help you stay for that holiday. And when you come back, we could help you repay anything that you've spent on that holiday. So it's not about being a better bank. It's about being a better help for you when you spend your money. The reason we have a banking license is so we can provide you with really good products. But what we want to do at Tandem is to not be a better bank. We want to be a better friend in your pocket that's looking out for you and has got your back and is making sure you're 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 not having to worry about money because we're worrying about it for you. So, Paul, what I want to ask you about blockchain. There are some things where blockchain is absolutely no-brainer. So, you know, where you've got multiple companies that want to interact with one another uh, in a way which doesn't require a central authority, and blockchain is absolutely perfect. So settlements between organizations is a really good example for it. Um, however, if you're within a single institution, uh, like, say, Tandem, then blockchain doesn't make a lot of sense because you know, there is, there's no distribution, so there's no distributed ledger. So we don't see any immediate use cases for um, blockchain in tandem. But we will continue to explore it. If you thought about it, we might go back. But right now, we're, we, we've got other, other fish to fry. So if I get this right, you're, you're bullish on uh, AI and machine learning and uh, still unsure on the ultimate value of blockchain. Would, would that be an accurate characterization? I think that's a very fair summary. AI and ML, that's a, there's a clear link between having someone's data, being able to find interesting patterns in that data, and help them understand their spending so they can, they can spend better or save better. Blockchain is a lesson link between uh, the technology and the customer value. Well, now we could go into blockchain in tomorrow for blockchain's sake, and that would probably, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of people go, oh, that's great. Hashtag right. buzzword, right. Blockchain. yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, buzzword, tick, valuation goes up, tick. But <laughs> is, it actually is, is it actually delivering customer value? Is there, are there other things that we could do that would deliver more customer value? And right now we believe there are other things that we could do that would deliver more value. Wow. Thank you so much, Paul. This has been a fascinating discussion about uh, modern banking, what a challenger bank is, and taking a look at delivering customer value as quickly as possible. I've learned a lot. Yeah, exactly. I took <laughs> notes. So um, I want to thank you, Paul, Fred, thank you, and our audio engineer, Benny Garcia. This wraps another episode of the New Relic Modern Software Podcast. We are interested in your feedback, so please feel free to tell us what you think of the New Relic Modern Software Podcast on Twitter, hashtag Modern Software Podcast. What else? And to avoid missing upcoming episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. We'd love to have you rate us there as well. I'm Tori Wield. Thanks for listening to the Modern Software Podcast. And remember, New Relic, because you need, need to, to know, know right, right now. now.